Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? And welcome to another episode of Coaching Inside the Box. This one is episode 58, and uh, it's a good time to be alive. Uh, It seems to be every year in January. Um, We feel really good about being Kansas Cityans. Uh, Episode 58 today, Super Bowl 58 here almost tomorrow, Um, and uh, that's pretty awesome because we're Chiefs fans. How's it going, Philippe? How's it going, Andy? Welcome back. Go them Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes, can he do it again? He can. He's I, a believe, magician. I, I believe he I, I can. Feel like, I feel like I'm a kid in Brazil, late 90s and early 2000s again. Oh, that's a really good comparison, I think. Because like, it's it's just you already... Everybody's like, oh, the Ravens, the Ravens. Like, I'm already like... I, I'm going to be honest, I was in Florida. I didn't even watch the first you part of the, the game. game. I, I watched after, but like, I didn't even... I wasn't even like, ah, they're going to win. I, I, that's... That's how I felt with Brazil back in the days, and that's how I feel with the Chiefs now. And again, they're fun to watch. I just read an article about Mahomes. Okay. And the guy that had researched, you know, he'd done his job, and you know, he he was saying that Mahomes' stats get better in the playoffs against better opposition. They do. They do. Well, I mean, talk about clutch. Isn't that the mark of a great player? You know, like like MJ. That's a hundred percent the case. You know, the the great ones got better when the heat was on. Yeah. You know, and you know that's the ace in the hole, isn't it? Yep. You know, if Mahomes is able to do that again against the 49ers, it's all over. Yeah. And he's 28 or whatever it is, right? Peyton Manning, I was listening to a podcast earlier, and Peyton Manning didn't make his first Super Bowl until he was past 30. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, Mahomes got another 20 years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Chiefs would be at the top for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. Well, Philippe, you're in Florida coaching some soccer down there. Um, and uh, we off air uh, connected on it. Sounds like the boys played well, had a good had a good event. Not quite perfect, but close to. Yeah. So we played the, the team that won nationals last year. And I mean, incredible squad. And start they started the game, you know, really pressing us, keeping us on their, their, our heel. We made a mistake, you know, maybe play two legends, you know, if that's the case, but I'll take it any day. Um, and then we went down 1-0, second half, they just sat back, backed in. The boys were huge, very organized, and, you know, field wasn't that good. So, I, I mean, I think that boys struggled a little bit with the skill part, you know, to try to break the lines. But, I mean, it was a fantastic game, and for the last 40 minutes in the second half, we kept the national champions under their heels, just defending. And after that, the other two games, uh, I mean, it, we won pretty comfortably. So Yeah, I, I always really appreciate the beginning of these episodes where we check in, you know, the competitive fire that takes place. You know, Philippe was in Florida two weeks ago. I was in Florida coaching. Andy, you got a new Pinochle Club, I think it's got, just got started up to I, scratch that competitive itch I was for in you. my hot tub, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Uncle's hot in the in you know in suburb in suburban Kansas City, right? For the sixty plus crowd, isn't it? Pete Uncle, yeah. What is Pete Uncle? Is it, that's what my grandma always used to play. I assume that's what you started to play now. I've got no idea what Pete Uncle is. You know, I, that, I find that very hard to believe <laughs> that you know Pete Uncle is. It's a card game. It, Oh, I don't play cards. I don't gamble. You know, did I tell my gambling story? My grandma does not gamble either. Well, didn't. I don't know what she does now. She's long gone. But Did, did uh, I ever tell you my gambling story? 
<laughs> no, I, this I know might the, be a good I know, time to tell us. I know this the story. to do with badminton. This is a great story. Okay. You know, so when I was a little kid, my grandfather um, used to play cards with me, and and it, he would make me save up my pennies, you know, and I'd bring you know the the pennies I'd saved up, you know, and the pennies were a lot to me in those days, and I'd go around my grandfather's house, you know, and we would play cards for about. 20 minutes, you know, and he'd let me win and win and win, you know, and, you know, I started stacking up the money and then he'd start winning and this went on, you know, and, and he would wipe me out, you know, and, and he'd keep the money, you know, and so I'd come back with my pennies again, you know, and, and, you know, I'd play again and he'd do the same thing again and then he'd wipe me out and this went on for a few months, you know, and, uh, and then I completely refused to play him anymore because I'd lost so much money, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, so, you know, I developed a phobia about cards and gambling, you know, and uh, anyway, so uh, in my early 20s, you know, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I need some money for something, and he said, come with me, and, and I used to do odd jobs, you know, paint, you know, the toilet when they needed the toilet painting and, you know, stuff like that and help him out when I was a teenager, you know. And so all the way through the years, I wouldn't take any money for the jobs that I'd done. And so, you know, and and I, I needed the money pretty seriously for something when I was in my early 20s. And, and he said, come with me, son. And he took me up to the local trustee savings bank. And we walked in through the door and he knew the manager and he said, hey, Bob, show the boy his bank book, you know. And Bob gave me my bank book and I didn't even know I had an account there. <laughs> And what he'd done is he'd saved all the pennies that he'd stolen off me. Because it turns out he was a card sharp in the east end of London. And when he got fed up of playing me, he would deal the cards off the bottom of the deck. You know, take a quick look and say, oh, I need that ace. And, you know, and he'd wipe me out. So when he got fed up of playing, he would wipe me out. But he was teaching me a lesson. You know, and I, I literally have had a gambling phobia ever since, you know, and, you know, because it's ruined so many lives. You know, I've had friends that have had their lives ruined by, by gambling. And me, I've never gambled since. I've never gone near a game of cards. I just don't do lotteries. You know, I, I just do no gambling at all because of my grandfather, you know, and when I needed the money, it was all in the account. And he gave me the bank book and he said, son, for the rest of your life, I understand one thing. The house always wins. <laughs> and he was totally right. Story. The house always wins. Yeah, yeah. He said, you're a fool if you gamble. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not fair. It's not 50-50. It's like 80-20. The house always wins. Yeah. You know, I was the house. <laughs> <laughs> How about that for a story? That's a good story. Well, welcome back. Uh, we're going to talk foundation of greatness, right? Um, Andy, it's actually been uh, interesting for you listeners at home. Andy's really dug in uh, to the next edition of his book. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of stuff come out. And I think this directly comes from one of the chapters he's working on the episode today. So it's a little preview for you at home. So I, wanna, you know, I've got the micro... Up. The, the micro skill zone, right? Yeah, that leads into the foundation of greatness. Yeah, yeah. In the eye of the storm. Yep. Okay. Yep. You know, yep. just to make sure we're on the same page. Yep. You know, um, but first. Oh, we got some jokes. We already got a story. Oh, they, these a good are, one. Come on. These Let's are related the to jokes. To dancing, you know, and, and no, we got to do the jokes. An Come English on. guy talking about dancing. You're serious. <laughs> I used to be quite the disco dancer <laughs> when I Bell was in my teenage years. <laughs> I could do the bump. Hey, how about that? Um, so, you know, 
loosely related to disguise, dancing, you know, micro soccer. So the first joke is, what does a dancer feel after a week of non-stop rehearsals? Uh, the agony of defeat. Defeat? The feet? The no, I got it. Oh, I, you know, me I got too. It. Yep. Me too. I got. I usually don't get them. That one I got right away. Yeah, but ninety percent of the times I don't. You had your usual dumb looks on your well, face. I'm, so. I'm laughing on the inside, Andy. <laughs> okay, next one. The other day I went shopping for some camouflage pants. I couldn't find any. <laughs> I'm dying on the inside. <laughs> hey, I love that one. Why didn't the skeleton dance at the disco? Because he's dead. No, he had no body to dance with. <laughs> Where can you dance in California? Fresno. Yeah, good club. Oh, you're Fresno. close. San Francisco. Mm. Where do one-legged dancers... <laughs> you guys, you should see Philippe's face right now. <laughs> I mean, he changed the world to make a joke. That's not even... <laughs> the Brazilian won't get it, you know, because she don't speak English. Um, where do one-legged dancers go for breakfast? I hop. Yes, um, good job. I've heard that one. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Uh, I hop. All right. Somebody was murdered at the school dance last week. The cops knew immediately which dancer was the killer. Do you know why? Because guilty feet have got no rhythm. Is that a song I should know? Yeah. George no. Michael? Who's George oh, Michael? I'm showing my age here. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> I'm never gonna dance again. Cause guilty feet have oh, I'll shut up now. And, and the last one The spontaneous jokes are better. Yeah, I yeah. tell him. Yeah, yeah. The last one. What do you call a dancer with one leg longer than the other? Eileen. <laughs> Eileen. Eileen. Did you get it, Philippe? Eileen. <laughs> hey, that's a good one. If that you don't answer that, you're yeah, damaged. Really good. Damaged. Damaged, I am. Yes. So, right. uh, so let's dig in, right? So, Andy, define the micro skill zone for us. Let's put it into perspective for, um, uh, for the audience listening. Define the micro skill zone. Mm -hmm. You know, and... You know, one thing that we've heard a lot of over the last few years, you know, is, you know, the, the half space concept. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the half space concept is just an area that you move into so that you can receive the ball, you know. So you have enough time when you get into that area to, you know, to decide what you're going to do next. Yeah. You know, and hopefully, you know, maybe you've already decided before you receive the ball. So with your first touch, you can, you know, go positive you know, and, you know, penetrate quickly, you know. So, you know, it, I quite like the half space concept, but to me, a space is a space is a space, you know. And, you know, as you get closer to the goal, what happens to the spaces? It, it halves. It, it, it halves, it quarters. <laughs> you know, it gets it, smaller. It gets Quarter smaller. Space. It becomes a eighth you know, space, a one tenth. You know, yeah. one twentieth space. It you just know. keeps halving. And and so you know, when you get into the goal mouth, you know, and you know, let's imagine that you know a corner zone kick, fourteen. A, a corner kick has just been taken. 
you know, and, you know, and, you know, the, it's a partial clearance and, you know, somebody tries to head it, it comes off of their ear and it hits the back of the forward. And, you know, now you're in micro spaces because there's six bodies in two square yards, you know, and so, you know, what you've got to do is you've got to be good in micro spaces. You've got to be a fox in the box. You've actually got to be more than a fox in the box. You've got to be a fox right in front of goal where you pounce on the opportunity. And maybe the opportunity isn't clean and clear. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe what you've got to do is you've got to fake to shoot and make people leave their feet in order to open up the corner and slot it in the corner for the, a guaranteed goal. The space doesn't exist until you create it. In many instances, yeah. yeah, you know, because defenders are good. So they're going to take away the primary space that they think you're going to want to score through, if that makes sense. You know, so, you know, what we deal with here because of the way in which our environment is set up, because of the way in which we throw two teams together playing one-on-one on a 72 by 36 yard field, you know, when they're 17 years of age, we train our players to handle microspaces. You know, they, they become at home in microspaces, in the most crowded, crazy, absolutely nuts scenario, you know, with the ball at their feet, you know, where, you know, there's, there's bodies flowing left and right, you know, and if you don't have good radar, you're in danger of colliding with somebody. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, our players don't collide with each other, but once in a blue moon, because they are so aware of their own space. You know, you know, that kinesthetic awareness, that, that awareness, that, that means where your body is in space and time. They've developed this expertise of kinesthetic awareness. You know, they're, they're kind of like Neymar, you know, who's just unbelievable in tight spaces, you know, at coming up with really creative solutions, you know. And that's because where did he grow up? He grew up in the favelas. He grew up in tiny spaces, you know, and he was that one with the guts to take people on you know, to make himself a target, you know, so, you know, you know, we're all about microspaces in what we do. And I've never heard anybody even talk about microspaces in front of God. You know, this is our concept. This is what we do. You know, it's a unique concept to us. You know, I dare anybody in the, in the soccer community, you know, to come up with a microspace reference from anywhere else. I've never seen it made, you know, which is a horrible oversight in our coaching community, because we should be training players in microspaces. If we ever want to be as good as the Brazilian sides used to be, you know, before they had players like, I don't know, who's the guy, Richarlison, you know, who's, who's just, <laughs> I mean, he's a donkey it's in microspaces. It's been a few episodes since we've been able to refer to as Richarlison yeah, you know, as a donkey. You know, c- so. Compared to, yeah. you know, your traditional, you know, Brazilian superstar, Richarlison, he grew up in a little country town, you know, and he had, he had macro ju- spaces. It's just hard work. He, Richarlison was just hard work, athleticism, you know. He did score one amazing goal, <laughs> you know, in the last World Cup. You but, know, but most of the time, he struggles in micro spaces. Yeah. He needs macro spaces, you know. <laughs> But you mentioned something earlier that I kind of want to dig into or or mention a little bit is you mentioned how our players oftentimes just develop this radar and this ability to 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 exist within a really tight field, a 72 by 36 1v1 field that we play in all the time. 
Um, and and it's never as as obvious to me as it is when I have kids from outside of the club come and join my sessions. Um, and my 2013s are quite good. And you know, pre preceding tryouts every year, there tends to be quite a oh, few good. kids. They're fantastic. Yeah, they're really good. So, but I mean, last last spring there were a lot of kids coming in, training with us pre tryouts to figure out if this was a destination they wanted to show up to, and watching the frustration on kids that haven't done this over and over and over again all over the face is pretty profound like just this like every time they're turned they're running into somebody or every time they shoot the ball's bouncing off somebody and not going in the back of the net and if that person wasn't there it's a top upper 90 shot and 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 then comparing it to the kids in my group which of course that happens but they've done it so many times over that they've now figured out how to develop this this awareness um, for spa- spatial awareness that is significantly better than their peers and not because it's natural, but because of the environment that they've trained in. Well, so just going off of that, um, I can you imagine this year that I brought fourteen? I was thinking about you, yeah. U fifteen yeah. players that have never done this before that play the most traditional style of soccer that you can possibly imagine. I mean, when they started seeing that, they were like, and they're teenagers, so they're like, "What the hell is that?" You yeah. know what I mean? But. <laughs> Told them, explained it, and because they were the rivals of our current team and they saw the way they played, they're all like, I want to play like that. I mean, they seem like they're enjoying themselves. So they, you know, it was some work from my part, you know, convincing them, the parents and stuff, but they embraced it. But like in the beginning, man, it was it was tough because they, again, they they played the way they faced, so they don't look the other way, right? And there's somebody just running through the other way, right, shooting a ball and all that. So it took a while, but, I mean, they were talking about really, really, really high-level players. So, you know, their adaptation, especially for their age, you know, was, was, was really quick. But, I mean, some of them are 6'2", six, 6', six foot, 5'11", you know what I mean? So they're, they're big kids, and our field is small. So for them, there's not a ton of space at all. Right. So um, but now, you know, you see them doing it and you see them in games and you start seeing that. I mean, this weekend and the, this weekend I was with this um, kind of new team. And I mean, they they look like they play legends forever, you know, and uh, I think people don't realize how much you can grow as a player doing that and how quickly you can grow as a player doing that because of the amount of repetition sure. and the amount of different situations you can face in in, sure. in what we do, you know, and so yeah, it's, you, it's great. You just, you just said something that was key, repetition. And, and you know, it, it's, it's really important that we understand that if we're to prevent the mistakes of the past, creativity is the answer. You know, and keep the repetition in mind here because, you know, this is what I'm getting to. The, the consequences of thinking and acting creatively are typically uplifting and empowering, which is what we want for our kids, right? Improving one's creative ingenuity and original perspectives is vital in life. All historical progress has been made by the contrarian, the guy that swims upstream. Thinking similarly prevents the emergence of unique ideas. Applying oneself to the creative process and finding solutions to complex problems requires the original idea or eureka moment, but only comes to fruition after a ton of hard work and dedication. 
Lasting and effective solutions to problems are rarely spontaneous. We only solve complex problems when we devote great resources and intense focus to the process. In the short term, the campaign to conquer vital skills and tactical knowledge will frustrate you. However, long-term perseverance in the creative quest for durable solutions is usually challenging and rewarding over time. In her excellent book, The Right Call, Sally Jenkins says, once I sat with the NBA's celebrated shooter, Stephen Curry, after a practice with the Golden State Warriors, and unable to resist, I actually heard myself say, can I feel your hands? Curry obligingly held out his palms. I placed mine on top. Shocked, I felt slabs of rough, coarse, flaking calluses. Somehow, I had expected his hands to be soft. Curry's frame is so sylph-like and flitting, his shot so effortless-seeming. But these were the hands of a logger. In that moment, I understood that Curry's ease with a basketball wasn't easy at all. It was produced by 2,000 practice shots a week, a labor that rubbed his hands raw. And I'm going to finish this section here with a quote. Leaders do not force people to follow. They set the example and invite them on a journey. John F. Kennedy, by the way. You know, what are we, you know, what are we seeing in terms of an example from Steph Curry? It's not natural talent. It's work. It's work. You know, hands of a logger, you know, is what she felt when she held his palms. But when I hear that quote, I mean, yes to that. But I, there's so many layers to that quote because, you know, leaders do not force people to follow. They set the example, invite them to a journey. I mean, you can apply that specifically to coaching, right? Like as a coach, I don't, do, I don't, I don't expect a specific uh, um, pattern of play for my kids. Instead, I give them and invite them on this creative adventure of establishing their own um, it's unique, a party. It's a party. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah they um, love it. They yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah, and and I, I I think that 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 for me that's what I, that stands out for me as a from that quote is the opportunity to encourage kids or the people that you're leading to uh, make their own path. Yeah, I mean, and I think soccer. If you if you regurg if you regurgitate what you what you learn, you don't learn, right? You have the the key thing in soccer is decision making, right? You gotta understand what needs to be done and it's not like in a sense of pattern plays and you know this is it but like it's finding solutions for any different problem and having thoughts about it and again the so and that's why soccer is so beautiful and coming from brazil and not having been so exposed to the american sports i mean i compare to baseball i'm sorry if you guys are baseball fans but baseball is a very repetitive game. They're not. Oh, it's nothing compared to cricket. <laughs> but there's no. There, yeah. But I mean, but nobody. Cricket is boring as hell. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's the number two sport in England. So you know, it <laughs> matches the weather. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, soccer is the sport, and I've watched tons of sports, right? Not to the full extent of, of the sport, but soccer is, I feel like, is the least repetitive sport. Every play 
the number of variables different. that exist within a soccer number of parts of your body play you makes can every play different number yeah, of yeah. parts of the yeah. body you can use and i mean but all of that Philippe, pre before we started recording you you listed the top five sports in brazil <laughs> could you list those again because I, I enjoyed that number one soccer number two futsal <laughs> number three beach soccer <laughs> number four foot volley Number five. Now it's tech ball. So, <laughs> I mean, <it's laughs> I'm not and then I think we got all the way down to nine. And it I was always UFC. thought the number one sport in Brazil was carnival. <laughs> oh, that, that's number zero. That's number zero. <laughs> number zero. That, that's you know we're talking about microspace. There's one guy, and you brought another thing that he loved. So I have to bring him up, and it's Romario. Romario always said that soccer was his number two sport. Number one was. Something else, uh, but don't need to say <laughs> well, here. My, if we, if Andy were to list off the favorite sports in England, you know, before he got to number five, he'd mention war, net, netball, war, <laughs> netball, <laughs> made up sports, completely made up. War, slide tackles, the and favorite sport of the aristocracy he was sending the working classes to war to die, <laughs> and, then, and then and then <laughs> sending good players to the bleachers with slide tackles knee height was number two, right? <laughs> I'm not sure what episode that story is shared, but it's a good one. Jumping hey, let's, in the let's air. Let's get back to the serious No, but stuff. Let, me, let, me, let me mention something. Says the jokester every, at the start of every episode. <laughs> so talking about microspace, the guy that, I mean, comes into my mind first time is Romario. Romario is, in Brazil, he's called the king of the penalty box because that was his own. He, <laughs> after he turned like 30, 32 I mean, he played until he was 42. And it wasn't like nowadays that you have all the nutrition and all the science behind and, and players are prolonging their careers a ton. He played until 42 in the Brazilian league. He led the league in goals at 40 years old. And, I mean, he never took care of himself in terms of diet. Oh, he stayed well hydrated. Yeah, lots of beer. <laughs> well, he, no, Romero didn't drink. Romero didn't drink. He never drank alcohol. But it was a joke, Philippe. Oh, I thought. <laughs> well, because all the Brazilians, all the Brazil. No, I thought. I thought you were comparing Romar to all the Brazilians, because all the Brazilians drink. It's actually a saying in Brazil that if you don't drink, you don't score. Okay. So that's how I grew up, you know, learning that. So Are I they referring was, to soccer or the other Brazilian sport? No, they're so they're referring to soccer. But anyway, so Romario, man, he. It was his gig. It was penalty box, you know, being there in that microspace and figuring out where he could anticipate where the ball would go. And one touch or two touch always could finish. You barely see Romaro shooting hard. It's just softly into the corners. And so, so that, we, we have some sophisticated viewers that listen to this podcast. Okay? We do. So let's, get, <laughs> let's get our minds out of the gutter, you know, and, and let's understand that creative leadership defines the most successful journeys. If our children are to develop tremendous reserves of creative character and lead fulfilling lives, developmental environments that challenge them to maximize this essential life skill must be constructed and leveraged. Teaching children to experiment and solve problems creatively gives them an exciting model for living. Smoothing the path or removing problems altogether undermines a child's potential. To live exciting lives, we need positive stretch goals and risky endeavors. These are what make successful performance difficult but immensely satisfying. The better you know yourself, 
the more you will know when you are stuck in your comfort zone, play into your strengths, or stick in your neck out. Venturing out of your comfort zone may be dangerous, yet you welcome the opportunity because your ability to grow is directly proportional to your capacity to entertain the uncomfortable. That's a quote by Twyla Tharp, who's the author of The Creative Habit. Twyla Tharp is the founder of Crossover Ballet. One of her earliest productions featured Mikhail Baryshnikov, widely regarded as the finest male classical ballet dancer in history. This is soccer's equivalent of a combination of Pep Guardiola coaching a young Leo Messi at Barcelona. You know, that's how good these people are that I'm referring to. You know, and it's about creative leadership, right? That defines the most successful journeys. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's giving kids or giving people the tools, and then and then and then pushing them to do more. To, right, and to, most clubs give them pattern plays. Most clubs, you know, uh, you know, do all the nasty things that hurt kids' potential. You know, unequal playing time, sit on the bench, all this stuff. You know, and even the guys that play a lot are used for their skip, their talent. You know, really fast guys stick them up front. You know, and he'll get the toe poke, but he doesn't develop into a great dribbler doesn't develop into a great finisher because he's just used for what he has, you know, when he first joins the team, you know, with a little bit of polish, but not much, you know, and, you know, he's, he's absolutely useless in microspaces or she's useless in microspaces because their coaches don't develop that talent. They don't develop deceptive dribbling, you know, and the ability to beat people under pressure in tight spaces, you know, and get that one unbelievable goal that wins the game. That you know that changes the whole narrative of the game, you know, and and that's a huge problem that we have in youth soccer. Yeah, as a longtime legends coach and obviously longtime legends player, it's it's interesting to me because you know, Philippe, Philippe, you're unique because you grew up in Brazil and you came and and we've talked about it on this podcast before. How when you first walked into the facility, some of the some of your first initial thoughts and how how well aligned they were to how you saw the game and remembered the game um, from your childhood. And and I this is the only soccer that I've known from a training perspective. So these micro spaces and the tight spaces in which we put kids. That was my experience growing up. I mean, not exactly right. We didn't get to train indoors nearly as uh, nearly as much as, as the kids do now. Um, uh, so the spaces were outdoor, which just naturally they were a little bit bigger. But the concept behind what we did was was spot on. And I watch new coaches that come into the club really uh, intensely uh, well meaning coaches. And by that, I, I mean, like they buy into what we're doing. They go through the training process and the training program and they want to do it. And they watch their sessions and you can see this still distancing from the super intense, you know, soccer on a hot plate micro space. It's still a small space, still significantly smaller than it might be. But you watch coaches slowly get closer and closer and closer to the smaller, the smaller, and the smaller of the space. And like, I, 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 would love to, with my knowledge now and my my perspective on the game, be able to go back to Andy those late '80s and early '90s, early days of the club, and watch you go through that process. Because undoubtedly, um, the spaces in which you asked us to play in got smaller over time, and you were constantly pushing yourself um, to look at it differently and to make it tighter, and to and and with every tighter space begets more mistakes, begets more. Um, uh, 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 challenges 
more frustration. And, and from a coaching perspective, as those challenges, the challenge increase and the frustration increase and the, and the mistakes increase, then we have an even bigger responsibility to help kids. And, and it, it's coming through, I think, what you might be saying next. But from this chapter, the self-confidence, like it, it requires more from the coach to help kids believe in themselves to a greater degree and, and, and accept that failure, if that makes sense. So what, what you got, you know, being, you know, one of the earliest teams in the Legends Club, you know, and what Philippe got being, you know, from Rio and playing, you know, in the favelas, you know, it is is something that is invaluable because building elite dribbling and finishing skills reinforces self-belief, confidence and optimism. Kids with extraordinary skills feel better about themselves and their ability to make a viable contribution. Each new challenge motivates these kids to attack the next summit. Rarely are we as happy as when we have expended tremendous creative energy on a worthy cause and made recognizable progress. Does that make sense? You know, and so, you know, we don't have the turnover that other clubs have, you know, because they are using players. You know, and, you know, kids, you know, get to the end of the soccer year. They made a commitment for, you know, from, you know, June until the next June, you know, and they get to the next June and they don't feel that much better than when they join these, these other clubs that are trying to win the next game. You know, they don't feel that much better than when they joined a year earlier, you know, and so they wander off and play baseball. You know, soccer's that boring under those coaches and in that philosophy, you know, they'll even go and play baseball. You know, and in, in England, players that are brought up that will even play cricket, which is worse than baseball. You know, so, so you know, it's, you know, the, the, the other approaches are so boring, you know, are so stilted, you know, are so stale, you know. And, and what we do is always exciting because you're taking people on, you're using moves, you're doing the really, really creative stuff that the greats of the game throughout history you know, have done, and then you're, you're finishing, you're, you're going after the ecstasy moments of the game, you know, the really big moments where you absolutely lose, you know, your mind, because, you know, you scored this incredible goal from 25 yards, you've bent it around a crowd of defenders into the corner of the net, you know, and you've done something which is an exceptional play, a highlight, you know, in the professional world, you know, and that's what we do for kids, you know, and, and it's so motivational, but more than that, it, it's so vital because you become the player that everybody wants at the next level above you, whether that's a high school coach, you know, whether it's a college coach, you know, whether it's an ODP coach, whether it's a pro coach, you become that player. And that's worth its weight in gold because, you know, you become a really brave creative leader that's got amazing skills. You know, your horizons are broadened and widened and deepened, you know, by what we do, you know, and you've built skills for life that carry over into virtually any other important environment that you will ever operate in. Thoughts? I, I, well, I mean, it really comes to a quote from, from your writing here on this front. Opportunities to challenge and expand curiosity and courage are vital. Simultaneously, obstacles to exploration must be removed because when kids focus on negatives, the childlike passion and fire 
of pioneering can be quickly extinguished. Like, so like my thoughts related to what you're saying is that, yeah, is that if we don't dig specifically into those pieces, then we kill that, that curiosity and that adventure, like passion that kids have, which ultimately creates a kid that becomes an adult that isn't maximizing their potential in terms of creativity and, and, and progress and, and moving us forward as both a society from a soccer perspective or outside the lines. So we're born with an instinct to explore and to take chances. That's who we are when we're babies. You know, and, you know, we stick everything in our mouth, right? You know, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, good tasting or bad tasting. That's how we learn. Curiosity is a genetic imprint that is gradually sucked out of people who aren't challenged. Rebels are inconvenient and annoying to most adults. In modern society, the risk taker is a troublemaker, an annoyance to those who wish to preserve the status quo quo, and lead untroubled lives. However, the genetic instinct towards risk must be encouraged and supported if the creative potential of children is to be optimized. If not cultivated, adventurous spirits will wilt and die. Recognizing this to be the case, safe but scary developmental environments that foster socially acceptable behavior with elements of risk must be established and supported. That's what we have here. We've got safe but scary. You know, it's p- kids go out there into this crowded environment. You know, they don't get hurt, maybe a bruise or two, you know, but they have to be really, really adventurous. You know, they have to embrace their fears, go for it, use their moves, take shots, you know, try to make the big play, you know, and that's the way that they become brave creative leaders for life. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, of course. Like it, like it. It's it's sometimes challenging from from a coaching perspective, and I think Philippe might connect with this. Is that that we we are coaching older kids every year. The kids get older, right? And as they get older, their experience within this environment and willingness to embrace risk uh, um, grows. Um, and it can start to feel as though it's forgettable. That like they don't necessarily recognize like. Oh yeah, I am taking so much risk right now. It's not even funny until they step out of it and move into a high school environment or move into an ODP environment or move into some other environment. And it's why I think personally that those environments are enormously valuable because it's a recognition for kids that reminds them that have been playing in this safe but scary approach that 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 what we do is different and special and and um um and and it it, it creates an opportunity to be a connection point, a a piece of tissue between this world, which is different than the rest of the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think we, it's, in a perfect scenario, we need to prepare our kids for when they go to those environments, you know, they're able to have a little bit of that, you know, uh, confidence to not listen to the coach in, in in that regard. So, what I mean by that is if a kid, for example, uh, on the boy side, you know, the for them to go to the pros, they need to go through a professional academy. That's how college draft is that on the on the boy side. So it's all coming from the academy. So but if the kid goes into the academies at U11, U12, U13, they break them because they recruit them. And I mean, I I had another kid the other day a kid that trained with me uh u15 polish national team um 
His dad is Polish. And I mean, unbelievable. I trained him one session. The kid is great. Um, and he got moved from different city uh, to stay with the host family, and you know, at, a, at an academy, uh, an MLS academy. And now they don't want him to do the things that, and he's a skillful player. You know, he grew up in, a, in Chicago playing, you know, futsal, which not the game that we like for development, but still tight space, you know, and that's what we work on, you know, beating people, you know, and, and using terms of skill. Uh, had Brazilian coaches there. So, you know, he he's a really skillful and creative player. And I could see them just in one session with him, could do all the moves that we teach. Like just, hey, this is how you do it. Oh, no, rotate a little bit more here. Perfect. Got it like right away, you know, great first touch, turning, you know, everything. And the dad was saying like, they don't shoot in practice. You know, it's just... I counted. I wa I was able to watch a whole week because usually parents can watch, but I was able from the corner to watch. I counted. They don't do any drills that they shoot. Well, how are they going to score goals? My kid plays an, as an eight. How is he going to score a goal from outside of the box like you know uh, a good midfielder does? Uh, he's not. Um, he every time he tries to turn, they yell at him saying that he just shouldn't have knocked back to the guy that's facing the play, the famous play the way you face, right? Um, Every time he tries to beat somebody and play a, a through ball, they yell at him, don't squeeze that, uh, you know, don't take no dribble. Don't squeeze that pass. Move you wide. You know, let's find a 2v1. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, so the kids, to be able to go to that environment and hear those things and not do it because here's the, here's the interesting part. The coaches are the most hypo hypocritical how do how hypocritical hypocritical yeah, yeah. uh human beings English in the here world on this podcast thank you uh you know three languages sometimes i get i get confused but anyway casual uh, flex but <laughs> <today. laughs> um but you know the co coaches will tell you not to do it until you do it and it works so if you're doing it and it works they'll uh yeah good job oh incredible then that one time you miss so the kid needs to have the stomach and the confidence you know it's like ibrahimovic when you know you look at uh, his history and ton of you know great players they were rebels in a little in a sense so the kid needs to go to those kind of environments when they're ready right they they can or w whether that's you know you 16, 17, 18 to an academy, or if they go to college, which is going to be the same thing, they need to be prepared for this environment that, first of all, incredible technically and incredibly good at all those things and having that confidence that they're not going to take this away from me. Sure. Because if, if if the kids go too early to these environments and on the girls' side is the ECNL most of the times, right? Um, they go, they recruit it because they're incredible, they you know, can do all these moves and take over games and they go there and they're not allowed to do that anymore. And Andy always brings it up that, you know, men usually uh, are more, have the tendency to be more rebel than the girls, right? So in the girls' case, there's no, there's no professional academy. It's just club soccer and college. So the college is still, you know, the route to go pro. So the girls don't need to go anywhere else, you know. The girls can play in a club that will allow them to flourish. And then hopefully by the time they go to college, they're so good that maybe the coach will be will look at them and be, I'll not, allow you to do it. That's not the case, though, is it? The girls are not playing clubs that are letting them flourish. The girls are playing in the ECNL, 
and it's all about well winning. i said that's where they should be playing yeah, yeah. They, they should be playing in clubs that will let them flourish let me let me point out something you know during the early days of of um, British soccer camps, that was a company that I started that became the biggest camp company in the world. Uh, we brought Wait, over so you're responsible largely for the British invasion of American soccer and why we've been terrible for many, many years? There's a lot of truth in that statement, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, one of the really good guys is a guy that we brought over in the early years of British soccer camps called Robin Jones. And he's a, he's a lecturer at Cardiff Metropolitan University in physical education uh, and, and one of the world's leadest authorities in sports science, um, but specifically in complexity theory as applied to coaching. And, and in his paper, Working at the Edge of Chaos, Understanding Coaching as a Complex Interpersonal System, Robin states... The ultimate purpose is to help coaches understand the complexity intrinsic to their work and how to better deal with it. This in turn would allow the agency of coaches to be more profitably channeled towards, and this is the important part, additional risk taking and experimentation while anchoring their understanding of what they can do at the edge of chaos more securely. That's a direct quote from one of the world's leading authorities, you know, in complexity theory and what will optimize, you know, a potential superstar to fulfill their, that potential. You know, and here's another quote, which is from Mark Youngweller, Blood from the Life at the Edge of Chaos book, which is absolutely fantastic. Mark Youngluck says... The greater the degree of interaction, diversity, and information, the greater the system's instability and flexibility. It is here at the edge of chaos that systems have their greatest potential for novelty and creativity. I think it's a fantastic quote. You know, what do we want for our kids? You know, do we want to put them into pattern plays? You know, do we want to make them, you know, rote robots? that follow instructions, that want to win without risk. You know, it's oh, great. We'd all love to win easily, wouldn't we? You know, without really investing any time in becoming brilliant. But that's not the way that genius is, is created. If you want to be a genius, you have to go into the edge of chaos, you know, and, and you know, enter that, that area where the greatest potential for novelty and creativity exists. What do you think of that? I've heard that quote before because you shared it, and it is fantastic, um, and and I appreciate it. What stuck out to me then when you were walking through that just now is how often the edge of chaos was a part of my youth. Um, that's something that you were always talking about, the edge of chaos, the edge of the envelope, and, 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 and pushing it and, and expanding it and going for it. And if we, I think, collectively, as, as you know, those listening, um, uh, if we look at our sporting experience, it's actually completely the opposite. Like, I can't think of another time throughout all of the sports I played, which were many, um, and all of the coaches I played for, outside of soccer, um, there, there were a lot. Um, inside of soccer, there were not a ton, but still some. You know, I played in college, I played in high school, I played ODP, I guess played with other club teams. I don't ever remember them talking about the edge of chaos. I don't ever remember them talking about pushing the edge of the envelope. I remember them uh, talking about um, 
uh, playing the way you face, um, um, playing within yourself, um, uh, you know, literally diametrically opposed concepts. Um, uh, and, and, and I find that to be really interesting, especially when you finish that quote the way that you did. Um, it's that it's at the edge of chaos that systems have their greatest potential for no- novelty and creativity. And like I, we as a sporting society um, praise novelty and creativity, praise Patrick Mahomes, praise Michael Jordan. Praise, praise Leo Messi, praise Marta, but we don't have any interest in helping to create that, it. That's the that's the you you that that's it. Like it's what coaches believe is like we don't we can't fabricate talent. We can't we 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 have to teach them everybody the same way to play soccer tactically or whatever, and then. The special player, he's just special. Yeah. And then it's, he, it's, it's he'll a, do it, right? Pardon my French here. It's a bullshit excuse of like, I'm not even going to try because it, it's not possible. It's of it's of God, right? Like it just happens. And that's one of the things. If, you, if you're listening now and you've just found this podcast and you haven't listened through all 57 previous episodes, go back and listen to them because we've gone in and dug into the background of Ashington, England, of... Of, of France. We've talked a lot about the development that's come out of the, the, um, the, the streets of France. Obviously, every episode we're talking about the Brazilian culture and the favelas in Brazil. And like, you can actually look at those things and you can say, no, 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 no. That greatness was developed because at the edge of chaos is where novelty and creativity are formed. And there are players, the greats, that have spent their time playing at the edge of chaos all the time. One, and, one, of, the, one of the craziest things is, and this is where so many coaches... I'm sorry, guys. You know, if you listen to this and you're one of these coaches, you are stupid. You know, and I, you know, I, I I've seen it so I'm many times. I'm pretty sure in growing you know, your podcast, uh, yeah, insulting look, your listenership is not <laughs> a, a, a strategy taught. You know, w- for some reason, you know, stupid coaches think that genius is just something you're born with. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and no, it's not. Every single genius, if you delve into their background and read about how they how they learned their genius, you know, it was because they were in a certain environment, you know, and they were presented with multiple, multiple, multiple opportunities, you know, to practice in a way that nobody else was presented, you know, with with in terms of an opportunity, you know, and so, you know, it's it's just crazy. Creative soccer in tight spaces promotes positive risk and that's micro soccer right that's what we're referring to it, it promotes positive risk fun extreme physical fatigue tactical problem solving intense body contact and psychological strength and that doesn't happen in the stupid rondos that most coaches do you know that leave people walking off the field going eh what did I really, did I penetrate? Did I go from A to B? Did I beat two players? Did I take a 30-yard shot, bend it around the keeper into the corner of the net? No, 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 and no. You know, and so, you know, it's by challenging and conquering new creative skills while subjected to a combination of pressures rarely found in life's other domains, soccer players and teams develop the ability to assess and welcome complex creative risks while coping with ever greater increments of chaos and complexity. The result will be more confident and creative adults who are better prepared to adapt, excel and lead in our ever-changing modern world. It's not about soccer. It's not about the sport. It's about the rest of life after you get out of playing soccer. 
you will have developed a mindset. Both of you have it. You've got a mindset about taking on the world, about being creative, about making the world a better place for children, for the people around you. An unselfish mindset, which is about improving everybody's experience in life. Does that make sense? Yeah, and because it's nearly Super Bowl week and I'm a giant Chiefs and Mahomes fan, I'm going to talk about Mahomes for a second. I've been just sucking up that content about Mahomes because we're starting to have conversations about Mahomes as perhaps is he the greatest ever. And if he wins the Super Bowl, does that put him ahead of of, of, of Tom Brady in terms of the greatest ever as a, as a football player, as a quarterback? And it's funny because I'm hearing so many commentators outside of soccer, say, man, what Mahomes had, Brady didn't have. And you can't teach it. It just comes. And, like, I'm... Of course you can teach it. I know. That's the point that I'm making is it exists outside of just... So so I'm challenging you now. If you're you're listening to this podcast, you're going to be paying attention to the Super Bowl and some... Listen to it. Everybody's going to be talking about how Mahomes... You can't teach what Mahomes has. And we're telling you that's that's wrong. I'll play a devil's advocate here. Even if you can't teach it, you can facilitate the one who's born. That's with teaching it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. You know, you can if if you believe talent is something that you're born with, it's you're touched by God. You know, and I do think there's a little bit of, of that component, right? Uh, otherwise, twins would be exactly the same, or brothers would play the exact the same because it's a similar environment. Even if you believe a hundred percent that it's just talent. If you try to take the talent away from the kid and you don't put them in an environment that that talent can flourish, they're not going to develop. So just yesterday I was going through some stuff in my office and I came upon this letter from from a wonderful young lady called Eva Royer who who played for our program and ended up playing in college. And, And this was the letter she wrote when she graduated from the club. Andy, thank you so much for everything you have taught me over the years. The wisdom you have imparted will stay with me forever. Having you as my coach, I've been challenged in so many ways. You challenged me to be a better soccer player, to look at the game in a more unique way, to have confidence in myself on and off the field. More important than what is what you have taught me about than what you have taught me about soccer, though I feel is you have taught me about life. Human nature is to fear failure and fear the unknown. You've completely spun my perspective on that. I'm no longer afraid of what might happen. I'm excited to take risks and be prepared for any outcome. I'm prepared to give 110% effort at everything I do because anything worth doing is worth doing well. I will never forget the long talks we've had, both as a team and individually. The story about the 1992 Ghanaian U20 national team. All the stories and parables and quotes and phrases you use. Your voice will always be in my head, pushing me and encouraging me to be my best. I couldn't be more grateful for the amount of time I got to spend with you as my coach, and I'm excited to continue to learn from you as I move on to the next stage in my life and soccer career. Words can't express the amount of gratitude I feel. Thank you so much, Andy. Love, Eve. Man, you really you really hoodwinked her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, hey, I, I, Andy, I can't take myself seriously for a minute with you two around. <laughs> but, but genuinely, like listening to some of those things that she wrote 
are things right out of your right out right out of those same sideline conversations that I remember having. Um, Andy, parting thoughts before we wrap up this episode. Well, you know, on my legends teams, I've coached kids from many origins. For example, in no specific order. Native Americans, Hispanics, Africans, Asians, South Americans, and Caucasians. They were all from socioeconomic levels, all sorts of levels. And we found a way to make it work for everyone. Practices and games, you know, have been celebrations of diversity, creativity, and honorable competition. All my players played, whether it was a State Cup final or a weekend kickabout. No unequal playing time. My goal was to teach every one of these kids to dribble like Ronaldinho and finish like Leo Messi. And crucially, to be a brave, creative leader for life, which is a challenging assignment because leadership must be earned. It cannot be successfully assigned to people who don't merit the honor. And, and the Casey Legends Club celebrates and emulates the French World Cup winners of 2018. And most people don't realize this. 87% of their squad were immigrants or the children of immigrants. 87%. They showed the world the power of diversity, respect, individual leadership, and creative unity. And these were the dregs of French society. They came from the slums. The Netflix documentary Concrete Soccer focuses on Parisian suburbs where many of the 2018 French World Cup winners came from. It illustrates the power of small spaces where the ball is held captive by players who have only known the pressure of playing in crowded microspaces. Here, rapid fire decision making is essential. The art of decepting, deceptive dribbling is life's blood and clever precision goal scoring makes heroes of children with precious few of life's inherited advantages. The Legends Indoor Training Centers and our Soccer Box franchises are concrete soccer multiplied. They are concrete micro soccer facilities. And we never practice outdoors because the sun always shines on indoor soccer. As the French say, vive la différence. And I want to finish with a quote, <laughs> just for a change. Another That's one from... Really good accent. <laughs> another... Vive la différence. <laughs> Another, another one from Mark Youngblood from the book Life at the Edge of Chaos. True creativity. I'll start again. True creativity is an evolutionary leap in which a system transcends itself and attains a higher level of organisation and complexity. That's what we want for our kids, right? We want them to be creative, complex at a higher level, you know, and at the same time, you know, organize themselves so that not just they, but other people can benefit, you know, and that's what we give kids through this philosophy, through our indoor facilities, our environment, you know, through our leadership for life, our brave, creative, creative leadership for life uh, approach. And of course, our culture, our beautiful game culture. You know, which, you know, to a great degree, I stole from Philippe's home country. You know, it's all, all about, you know, a celebration of life. Beautiful game. It's carnival soccer. You know, it's, it's wonderful stuff, right? Yep. Andy, Philippe, another great episode. Until next time. See ya. Thanks, guys.